The opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily reflect those of the owner, staff, or management of this radio station. Girlfriend, here is your show. Girlfriended, your chance to connect with other women, especially the woman that is most overlooked, yourself. Girlfriended is all about helping you become self-aware, not self-involved. The aim is to provide information that relates to life, which leads to real connections and results in a desire to connect or care for those in need. The Girlfriended principle was born out of loss. Patty's mother was murdered, and Lisa lost her mother to cancer. This forged a bond between them that nothing could shake. And now the women want to help you in more ways than you can count every day. From the website, GirlfriendIt.com, and the movement, GirlfriendIt, here are Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan on Toginet.com. Well, as Christians, it is easy to say the words, I'm a Christ follower. But we do need a self-checkup at times to ask ourselves, what does that really look like? What does this process of growing in Christ really mean? Well, before we get too far into our show, you are listening to Girlfriend It Radio with Patty Wyatt. And Lisa is off traveling in Kentucky, where she is obviously having a fabulous time because she is sending me pictures of castles and all kinds of amazing things um, that are taking place there in Kentucky. And she is there at the... Um, let me think of what, I always forget the name, the North American Christian Convention, um, which she goes to every summer, and apparently she is definitely having a blast. So we just want to um, start out the day. I have to tell you, we have a very special guest, and it is going to be a real treat. Our guest today is Kyle Strobel, PhD. He is a professor of theology and previously published Jonathan Edwards' Theology, a reinterpretation by T.N.T. Clark, and formed by the glory of God, learning from the spiritual practices of Jonathan Edwards. You can also find out more about Kyle by going to Kyle's blog at metamorpha.com. Well, I have to, um, all of that, that the metamorpha, uh, Kyle, I am just so intrigued by that. So welcome, Kyle. How are you? I am well. Thanks so much for having me. Okay, all of that, all of that introduction with all these books that you're doing and this um, blog that you write on metamorpha.com. You have to explain what exactly is metamorpha and how did you come up with that name? Because I have to tell you, when I think of metamorpha, I think of a comic book, <laughs> or I think of like, <laughs> the caterpillar morphing into a butterfly. So, so tell me what what. What was your thinking process to come up with this metamorpha? Yeah, well, we were trying to invoke more the caterpillar and the butterfly than the um, <laughs> transformer kind of image in people's minds. Um, when, when the New Testament talks about transformation, metamorpha is the Greek word it uses. And so what uh. we wanted to do is we started a ministry. We wanted to really focus on what does it mean to be formed into the image of Christ and we wanted to do that in a particularly evangelical kind of a way. Um, we see a lot of people who are doing a lot of good work in a lot of ways, but who are constantly looking beyond evangelicalism for answers to things. And, and we, we think actually our, our own evangelical tradition holds just a, an abundance of resources for, for life with God and for transformation. And so that's really what Metamorph is about. 
Well, it's interesting. Um, I read Jonalyn Fincher. She's been on our sh- show several times, her and her husband, which I just sure, love sure. them. Co-founder of Solation, and she's the author of Ruby Slippers. But um, there was something she said about um, on one of your books and about your, your blog. Metamorpha is a clarion call to the church to stop and evaluate our bumper sticker, bullet-pointed, statistic-driven Christianity. And I love that. This, that one sentence um, just really shouts out. And if you are curious about becoming more like Christ, then Metamorpha deserves your careful attention. So what, what is exactly, um, I think there's so much to unpack here. And, and I love, um, I was reading just a little bit more about you. You grew up in Willow Creek, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. So that more of that kind of culture that um, that this generation truly wants to understand what is it like becoming more like Christ? I think it's bigger than just that golden ticket that, hey, I have my I have my ticket into heaven, so I'm good to go. I can do whatever I, I want. So what are some of the things that that you are doing that answer some of those questions? How can I really grow in Christ? And what does this process look like? And I know that's, I mean, theologians are, are talking about this for years, so we're not going to unpack it in an hour, but I really want you to. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Well, fair enough. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, I, I think we generationally, my generation is a little more, how, how best to put this, I mean, maybe a little more comfortable with messiness. Mm. I, I think there was a, a generation that um, preceded ours that really needed, for a whole variety of reasons, that to really understand sociologically what was going on in, in world history. But I mean, the post-World War II generation, I think, had a desperation for, I just need to be able to grab onto something. I, I don't think that was necessarily bad. I don't think, you know, I, there's no, no reason to demonize that. But I, I think there was a general, general need psychologically. I, I just need to be able to wrap my arms around something and I need it kind of really clear-cut. And the problem is that as this generation started developing churches and started kind of offering that, people didn't know what to do with the messiness in their lives. And so the, the kind of solution was to just see messiness itself as the problem. Mm. The problem is, though, if you look at the New Testament, and even beyond that, I mean, if you just read the Psalms, what we see is the Bible actually sanctifies the messiness of the Christian life. That it's, it's not something we're supposed to get out of, but it's something we're supposed to enter into with the Lord. And it's, the idea isn't that we just simply enter into it with the Lord in order to get out of it even. Um, we, we know that the Christian life will be a life of anticipation. That there will be, as Paul says in Romans, you know, there's going to be birth pangs in this, in this era of life, and we have to embrace that. But what we need to embrace is the fact that the Lord is with us even here. And so I, I think a lot of people, what has happened is that they've, they've come to believe that, no, when I become a Christian or when I do the right things, things should just get better. The messiness should just disappear. And when mm-hmm. it doesn't, they think there's something wrong with them. They think maybe there's something wrong with the message they received. They think, and they look, for, they look for more answers. And I think what we provide are maybe answers to say, look, this isn't, this isn't as easy as, <laughs> as you might want it. And it certainly mm-hmm. isn't as clean cut as you might want it. But I also think it's greater than what you've expected. You know, one of the, one of the things I think we've lost that I, I try to recover in, in my book, Forum for the Glory of God, 
that I found in Edwards, and I, I find it all throughout the Christian tradition, is that grace isn't simply forgiveness. You know, one of the problems I think we have with grace, you know, evangelicals, we, we are fantastic when it comes to grace with, in terms of focusing on the mode of grace, and the mode of grace is gift, right? And we, 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 we are the ones that have nailed this, I think. We can't shout that loud enough. Grace is a mm-hmm. gift. The problem is that we talk about it so much as a gift, we never really talk about what has been given. Mm. And so what happens is people then just kind of subconsciously insert into this idea of gift what the gift was. And usually whenever we do something like that, we always reduce the gospel down to something manageable. And so we usually say, oh, grace is God's giving us forgiveness for free. But that isn't remotely close to the gospel. Um, that is so reductionistic. That is so small compared to what God tells us. Um, in Jesus, we, we have Emmanuel, God with us. God has given himself freely to us. Um, Peter will say in Second Peter 1.4 that believers are now partakers of the divine nature, that we actually partake in the life of God. And when you think about the images of salvation in Scripture, the main images are adoption and marriage. It's this fellowship, this entering into God's very life to be with him. And, and that is so much more than simply being forgiven. Now, for, we don't want to undermine forgiveness. That's obviously hugely important. But that isn't what it's about. It's ultimately about life with God. And um, what someone like Edwards, and really the, all the Christian tradition, I mean, this is something that historically the church has gotten right, that we've recently kind of forgotten, is that ultimately the gospel is that God gives himself to us. And he gives himself to us abundantly, and he gives himself to us freely. And so once we embrace that reality, I think several things become clear very quickly. And the first is that a life of holiness isn't simply doing the right thing, being involved in the right thing. And it certainly isn't kind of generating holiness, because that's impossible. Holiness is a term that describes God's life which means the only way to be holy as God is holy is to actually partake in his life. And so what this, what this does for us is it helps us realize there's nothing I can do to generate that myself. There, there's nothing, I can't sit in my room and go, okay, I'm going to try to generate holiness now because it's not something that I can generate. It's something I have. Mm-hmm. It's something I partake in and God gives freely. And, and so what this ends up meaning is that the Christian life is lived at the very same point where it starts, at the foot of the cross where we have nothing to bring but ourselves, the place where we come and just open freely and present ourselves as sacrifices to the Lord, as Paul tells in Romans 12, that becomes the entire posture of the Christian life. We, we aren't meant to develop a life of our own. Um, we are given a life. We are given God's life. And as we abide in him, what we come to realize, as Jesus tells us in John 15:5, that without him we can do nothing. And it's only as we embrace that reality, I think, that we can truly understand what abiding looks like. And, you know, one of the problems that we've, we've tried to tackle at Metamorpha quite a bit, and I try to tackle in this book, is that in the, it's ever since about the mid-'70s, there has been a revival of the term spiritual discipline. Mm. And there's nothing wrong with the term in and of itself. The problem, though, is when you, when you kind of break down the term commonsensically, people begin to use it and really abuse it in a way that's unchristian. So people begin to think, okay, well, discipline, I know what that is. You know, I, I have discipline at work, and I have discipline or don't have discipline to work out, you know, whatever it might be. And then they think, okay, I know what that is. And then spiritual life, okay, I understand what that is. I just discipline my spirit. And people think, oh, this is nothing different 
than working out. I just need to come up with an action plan. I need to get it done, and I'll discipline my spiritual life. Um, that, the problem is that immediately is just self-help. You can talk about an entire regiment of discipline that you're calling spiritual and never actually talk about God, never mm-hmm. actually talk about grace. And when I, whenever I find a plan, and there's lots of them out there, whenever I find a plan for the Christian life that can work without, without ever talking about the Spirit, that's probably a very bad thing. Um, it, it probably needs to just sound fundamentally. And so that's what we're trying to address uh, by pushing a different direction. This is Girlfriended on Togginap. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on Girlfriended.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend it. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriended Radio right after these. My husband and I were in youth ministry and knew nothing about church planning. But as we felt God leading us to start a new church, we were connected with Stadia. They gave us coaching and personal care, giving us the confidence that we needed. They even have a ministry called Bloom that's designed to support me as a lead planner spouse. We now lead a church in Cleveland, Ohio that's transforming lives, and we couldn't have done it without Stadia. Stadia brings people and churches together to transform lives and communities through church planting. For more information, go to stadia.cc. Be sure to register your copy of Sam at www.spatialaudio.com. You'll feel warm and squishy inside once you do. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio. A chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show. On toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. Well, once again, we are talking with our guest, Kyle Strobel. And I have to say, Kyle is the son of Lee Strobel, and he is the well known best, uh, or, or New York Times bestseller for the case for Christ, the case for faith, and the case for a creator. And my husband loves these books, and he literally passes them out like like paper towels. And um, Kyle, I just found out Lisa, the co-host, her and her husband are up at North American Christian Convention, and apparently your dad and her husband are the main speakers next summer. So that's just kind of funny. (laughs) That is fun. Yeah, so she could have been on today to give you a hard time, so... Now she can't, so now I have to. I have to do it for her. But um, we we rudely interrupted you um, right in the midst of all this spiritual discipline talk, and I I'm very intrigued for, with just this whole conversation because I grew up in a very um, legalistic, um, just you know, grew up in, in in the church my entire life, and pretty much my my family all does ministry, and I don't think you even realize. Um, how much you are in that of, and, and I'm not knocking the church. I love the church. And, um, but I, I do see how, like what you're saying with the spiritual discipline, you can get caught up in, um, you know, I, I was in, in the programs where you memorized verses where, you know, you could literally quote <laughs> all these verses, but 
Are you really taking them to heart? Are they really going beyond um, on the intellectual part of it? And I, I do think through some of that, we deal with a lot of shame and a lot of guilt versus understanding what you're talking about, that, that we are nothing, we bring nothing. We're there at the foot of the cross. And um, the revival of spiritual discipline is, is awesome. And I do believe that there's a place for that. But we get away from um, how we even position ourselves to those who do, do not yet know him when we get into some of the self-righteousness and some of the way that people can perceive us. So I interrupted you, but you were there talking about the, the spiritual discipline. Will you go ahead and elaborate on that? Yeah, sure. Yeah, you know, and one of the things that I discovered when I, I ended up doing my, um, my Ph.D. in systematic theology, and I, I ended up doing Jonathan Edwards, and you quote some of the books I published on Edwards. And one of the things I learned from him, and really what I came to find out that this was standard in Protestant for generations, was that we had a term to talk about spiritual disciplines that I think is significantly more helpful. And what they said is that these things are means of grace. And so immediately, just the language we use changes everything. There's no sense with the term means of grace that I can do these things to generate my own holiness. The goal was not to become better. The goal really isn't even to become holy or even to be a good Christian. The goal is simply to be with God. And once you make that turn, that changes everything. Because as you said, you know, legalism only works is if you can directly apply uh, like virtue or holiness or righteousness to an action you're doing. But the means of grace cut that down at the knees because you, you, you have no ability to generate righteousness. You have mm -hmm. no ability to generate holiness. So the, what you're doing in all of these things is, is each discipline or, or means of grace, as I'm calling them, or the, the term I actually like are either spiritual postures or, or spiritual practices. Any, whatever you want to call them, what, what we're doing in those things is we're being with God, we're learning to abide, and we're trusting that we don't have to worry about transformation. Because that's not our job. Our job is to be with God, and God is the God who transforms. Mm. And, and as we can be with the Lord in all of these things, and I, I think that even includes sin. I mean, I think one of the reasons why people tend to be so overwhelmed by sin is they never embrace it, they can't do anything about it. They're, they're convinced they have it within themselves to defeat a sin. And so what usually happens is we reduce the idea of sin down to doing, doing one thing. When biblically, sin is a desire, first and foremost. And again, we, have, we know that we have no ability to transform our desires. God has that ability. And so you know, one, of, one of my favorite Edwards quotes, actually, Edwards had a great line where he, 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 was, he was wondering, like, how does God take your eyes off the world? And he says, he doesn't, he doesn't beat you up. He, he gives you something that's more beautiful. Mm. That's the only way to take your eyes off the world, is to be captivated by something that is more beautiful. And, and for what Edwards was saying, is, is that this is what God has done in Jesus. That, that Jesus coming as God with us is the thing that is more beautiful that should take our eyes off the world. And if he has not, we can't generate that. All we can do is, is come to him in various ways, trusting that if we do so faithfully, he will apply the grace to transform our vision. 
And that's so that where, is a very different way to talk about things. It is. And, it, you know, it goes back to if we really focus on Jesus and all the amazing things and, and his love, and we speak less of all the horrible things that are going on in our culture, that's where people are going to start listening, though. They're going to listen to how incredible Jesus is rather than feeling like they're condemned. And I, and I think that's where we would like to see the revival, to see the revival and the church going, this is amazing. His love is amazing. And I love how, how you articulated that. And it really is about how, how we're saying this. Um, I was doing ministry recently, several months ago, and one of the gals was talking about her mom, who is a ministry leader, and she was then following in, in the, these footsteps, and she was an intern, and she was being real and sharing her story, and just like you said, the messiness, This your generation is more opened on the messiness, and her mom was horrified that she would share some of the messiness that was going on in her life, and she came to her and said, that's not a good idea. If you want to stay here and have a job here at this church, <laughs> sharing this is not good. And um, I, I, we were laughing about it, that we, we don't want the messiness. And um, we have a tendency in ministry to put a mask on because we don't see it as, I'm just going to have this relationship with Jesus. I'm just going to meet him at the foot of the cross and spend time with him. It's we want to clean ourselves up and present ourselves a different way. And this is very indicative of the church culture, I believe, that we we live in. And and don't you feel that fear creates some of this, the, the way we act? Rather than just being who we are, it is motivated by shame and fear, and we don't even realize it? Yeah. Yeah, well, part of the problem is that Christianity in general, and I would say evangelicalism much more so, is a very thick culture. And what I mean by that is usually people can, whether inside or outside, can give a very detailed description of what it means to be a part of this culture. And so in the back of all of our minds, we have this vision of what we should look like, we think, to fit in. And I think what happens is everyone is, everyone to some degree, ministry leaders or not, are trying to actually fit into that culture. And whenever that happens, that now we are driven by a system of guilt and shame. Because if you don't fit in, you're an outsider. And that's shame. Mm -hmm. And if you, if, you, if you do something where you are clearly kind of outside the culture, but in the midst of the culture, then, then you'll be guilt-ridden about it. And usually there'll be you know, as all cultures tend to, sadly, will have some correctives to try to get you to behave well. Maybe you're not invited to the next meeting. Maybe someone says something that's pretty rude. Maybe, you know, and, we, what, and what we've ended up doing, and, and I think this is truly tragic about the church, is we often tend to look more like each other and talk mm -hmm. more like each other mm -hmm. as, as years go on in a church. And we tend to isolate ourselves more and more rather than accepting the fact that we all are different. And, you know, there's some pretty condemning <laughs> words about this in the New Testament, particularly in James, where, where we talk about the poor in relation to the church um, and giving certain people the, the seat of honor and, and not giving it to other people. 
I think there's a parallel example in terms of developing a culture where someone who is outside that culture, maybe it's economically, maybe it's ethnically, um, maybe it's because of a disability, that when they come in, they immediately, the first thing they feel is a sense that I don't belong here. Mm. And that the only way to belong here is to start acting like these people, to be in the right tax bracket as these people, to be whatever you want to call it. And I think that is something the church has failed miserably at really assessing well and even Mm -hmm. just thinking about. I mean, I think it's one of those areas we just don't think about. Um, We're more than happy to surround ourselves with people that look exactly like us and talk like us and live in the same neighborhoods as us. Um, And that's, I think, a deep tragedy of our church today. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, on that thought, then what motivated you? What, what, what point in your life did you, um, I mean, obviously you're very intrigued with Jonathan Edwards. What started you down that trail? <laughs> you know, it was kind of funny. It, I actually went to do a PhD in theology not knowing what my topic was going to be. And I was looking for a couple things. I was looking for a, a truly great theologian. Um, not just good. I didn't want to. I'm not going to spend four years of my life, and now probably seven or eight now, um, studying someone that's just kind of a decent theologian. I wanted one of the greats. I really wanted to sit at the feet of someone who understood what the task of theology really is. Mm. That it's a churchly task and not an academic task, first and foremost. But I also wanted to find someone. You know, one of the one of the great problems I think in our both our church as well as our seminaries and the academy in general is that in the modern era we've divorced spirituality from theology one modern thinker um, kind of in a depressing moment said why are our saints no longer theologians and our theologians no longer saints Mm. and and I think what he was getting at there is, is is spiritual writers that isn't it interesting if you look in the history of the church our great spiritual writers used to be theologians. Um, also, you could add our great hymn writers used to be theologians. Mm. Why, why isn't that the case anymore? On both sides of the equation, why aren't our theologians writing music, writing spirituality, gauging those kind of things? On the other side, why are our spiritual writers and our music writers totally uninterested in theology? And what happens when you divorce those two things is they both die. Theology becomes lifeless and academic. And spirituality kind of ceases to stay grounded in, in Christ. And we've already seen that a little bit with spiritual disciplines. Spirituality will almost always become self-help or new age. It'll go one of those two directions. And, and so I've want, I wanted to find someone, as a, who's an example in my own tradition, who, who still held these things together. And as I was looking through all these things, I was like, it's Edwards. Edwards is the guy who who was truly one of the greatest thinkers in church history, certainly the greatest American theologian, but easily the top, one in the top ten greatest thinkers in Christian history. But then when you think of the, the books that Edward is most known for, he's known for the religious affections. And the religious affections is a work where he's trying to figure out how do we discern. And Kyle, I'm going to interrupt you again. Sorry about that. But we okay, no problem. Back friend at Radio.
This is Girlfriend on Toginap. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on girlfriended.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, girlfriend it. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriended Radio right after these. We were thriving in a youth ministry when God clearly called us out of our Bible Belt comfort zone to plant a church in California. Stadia's 90-plus percent success rate gave us all the confidence we needed. They also cared for us through amazing support networks to encourage us like Bloom, a -a one-of-a-kind ministry for planters' wives. It's here I find deep friendships with like-minded gals who want to change lives. Stadia brings people and churches together to transform lives and communities through church planting. For more information, go to stadia.cc. Okay, we will. We're going to teach you how to tell your money where to go. It's Intelligent Investing with Pam Otten on Toginet. Learn how to be a savvy investor from someone who has your best interest in heart. Pam Otten is a financial advisor who loves to help successful business owners and entrepreneurs understand the mysteries of the investment world. And she's not afraid to share that knowledge. Pam is an unashamed Christian and qualified kingdom advisor, which means she's trained and committed to integrating biblical principles into her financial advice. Pam believes investing isn't rocket science. This is the financial advisor who's in your corner and truly understands and cares about you and helping you achieve your goals. Securities and advisory services are offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, SIPC. It's Intelligent Investing with Pam Otten on Toginet. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio. A chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. Well, welcome back to our show. This day we are talking with Kyle Strobel, and he is just telling us about where are our great thinkers. So, Kyle, continue on on why you had chosen Edwards to to follow along. And also, um, I I, want to get back into um, where... At one point in some of your writings, you were talking about um, why we're not imagining heaven and why we don't focus on um, on eternity. And so kind of go, yeah, go there yeah. with that, that thought process. <laughs> okay, sure, yeah. Well, you know, when, when we took the break, what I was saying about Edwards is, you know, what, what struck me as, as very interesting about Edwards is he's, he's very respected in the academy. Uh, many people consider him the greatest theologian as well as the greatest philosopher in American history. Even atheists will say he's the greatest philosopher in American history. Mm. But when you look at his legacy, his legacy is pastoral. His book, The Religious Affections, he is, he's just trying to discern what is the Spirit's work among his people, and how do we discern that from people just kind of doing something and calling it spiritual. As a pastor, he was really worried about this. He saw a lot of very spiritual, quote-unquote, things going on. And he said, how do I know that this is actually the Spirit, this person's actually living out of, of the truth of the Spirit? Or how do I know if this isn't, if it's something else? And so the whole book of the religious affections, that's the focus. He wrote a book, I think if I recall correctly, it was in 1741, and it has never been out of print. And mm. it became one of the most important books for the missionary movement. It's called The Life of David Brainerd. David Brainerd was a missionary to the Native Americans, and he was a friend of Edwards. And so when he died, Edwards took his, his diary, basically, 
and he kind of edited it and added intro and conclusion things. And this this became one of the most influential books for missionaries of the 18th, 19th, 20th century. And so I was really intrigued by this. I'm like, here's a great thinker. Here's someone who he could have disappeared in the academy if he wanted to, and yet he's writing books for the church. He's writing books academically as well. And so in a lot of ways, I've tried to model my own vocation after someone like Edwards. I write academic books that no one other than scholars should read. <laughs> that's why they're $130. <laughs> and, you know, and that's great. But I'm like, I don't want to just do that. You know, I, I, I feel like if, if I don't also write directly to the church, then I've missed my vocation as a theologian. Because a theologian ultimately is a prophet, in a sense. It's someone who, who functions like the early prophets did, which was to constantly call the church back to the, to, to the love of God, constantly remind the church who God really is. And if, if I have any kind of role doing that, it means I need to talk not only to pastors and thinkers, but directly to the church. And so that's really what caught my attention about Edwards. Um, he is so well-respected. Even his marriage is famous. I mean, he was such a well-rounded person in a lot of ways that his marriage has gone down as one of the, one of the great marriages in Christian history. And so for me, I'm like, this is a great model. <laughs> if I'm going to look to anyone, here's mm-hmm. someone that I want to look to, that I want to kind of be like, so to speak. And in light of your second question, one of the, one of the things that really caught my attention about Edward very quickly is that he was just absolutely captivated by eternity. He wrote a wonderful little sermon. He, 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 he wrote a, a sermon series that he gave and then he turned into a book. I've actually re-released it. It's called Charity and Its Fruits. And it's his, it's his um, basically a theology of love, but it's basically an extended meditation on 1 Corinthians 13. And so we can, you know, we can talk about that passage more than just at weddings. And Edwards kind of shows us how to do it. And so he, he goes and he works just, you know, verse by verse through this entire um, section of Scripture. And the very last sermon, which I think is one of his greatest, is called Heaven is a World of Love. And for Edwards, he was absolutely captivated by the fact that the reason heaven is so great, the reason eternity is, is where our entire lives should be pointed, it is because it's, it's a world of love. And the only reason it's a world of love is because the God of love exists there. He uses this image of, of God as this fountain of love. You can kind of imagine this, this world that is being watered, so to speak, by this great fountain. And Edward's like, that's exactly what heaven is like. Heaven is this world of love, and we all get to come and drink at this fountain. Mm. We all get to come and be saturated by the love of God. And so everything about his, his life, his ministry, his theology is oriented by the fact that, that this is our destiny. And this is exactly why Jesus said, love God and love your neighbor is kind of the great summary of the law, because that's the path we're on. We're on the path of love. And so what Edwards did, and this is pretty standard actually for theologians, but when, when they talked about faith, faith in Scripture is often, um, as with hope, is, is kind of contrasted with sight. Um, so you, you, faith is what we have here because we don't see Mm-hmm. One day, we're told in Scripture, we will see clearly. One day, we will see face-to-face. You get all these images in Scripture about seeing God. And, and so what happens is, is, as theologians were talking about this, they also notice that there's other passages in Scripture that, that talk about the fact that we see here in some sense, but it's just kind of through a glass darkly. That, that famous phrase that, that Paul gives us. And so faith is this kind of broken seeing 
that we, our eyes are weak here, but we still see in some real sense. And so the whole Christian life is cast in this kind of growing understanding, this growing seeing the world, ourselves, God for who he really is, what the world really is. Because one day our sight will be perfected and we will stand before God and see him face to face. But here we see through a glass darkly. And so the sight of faith is really this, this, this kind of brokenness of the world we are in, this anticipation of a greater place, a place where love truly reigns. Mm. And so what the kingdom of God is then is, is, is the life of anticipation of love. So when Jesus told his followers, they will know you by, the, by, by your love, what he was saying is they will, they will be able to see the reality of heaven now and here because they will see this embassy for heaven in the world. And the only way to be an embassy for heaven is to be a people of love. And so this is, this is kind of, for Edwards, this becomes the calling of the Christian life. And the way he talked about it, one of the images he uses that be, has become a favorite image of mine. He, you know, in Revelation, we see all these, these, these kind of passages about singing in heaven. Um, so this is kind of is disconcerting for some people who don't like seeing, because if you read this very literally, all, all we'll be doing is singing all the time. It's um, probably, you know, very metaphorical and probably not what's going to happen. But Edwards talked about this. He said, you know, heaven is, there's a song that is kind of heaven's song. And it's the song we sing when we see clearly. And when he talked about the Christian life, he said, now we were learning that song. Mm. We're out of tune. We don't, we, don't, we don't quite get it right because we don't quite hear it right. But the Christian life becomes learning this song we will sing for eternity. And you get this mm-hmm. image of this, our life here is connected with our eternal life. There's not this great separation between these two things. This is why the Christian life is so important. This is why it's so important to learn to live with God. Because that is what eternity is. <laughs> it's life with mm-hmm. God. And it's a, it's, it's a direct continuation of that. And so everything is wrapped up in this vision of eternity that is constantly, as Paul will tell us in Colossians 3, it's setting our minds on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Edwards was, I think, the great theologian who, who set his mind on things above. So when we do that, what does that look like? Because we can, we can say mm. it. The words are there. But <laughs> for... You know, for Kaylee, that's just listening to the show today and go and and soaking all this in, and then the, the show ends. She goes, "What now? What does this mean? What does it mean <laughs> to follow God in this day and age and crave Him and crave eternity and imagine, you know, what eternity? What does that mean for just someone today?" Well, it, it means that our life needs to be formed by the means of grace that we talked about earlier that the Christian life isn't a checklist of things I need to get done, that the Christian life isn't trying to become good, trying to become holy, trying to become righteous, none of that. The Christian life is being with God. And so, and I think ultimately what we need to realize is, is because of the nature of heaven as a world of love and our call to be a people up here, it means that sin is not simply the fact that you do bad things. Mm-hmm. That is almost irrelevant, to be honest. Um, that's just bad fruit on a sick tree. And when I talk about this in my classes, one of the illustrations I try to use to my students is I say, imagine you have a neighbor with an apple tree, and, and it's very sick. And one day you see him, and he just gets in his car and speeds off. And he comes back home, and he, he pulls out this bushel of apples that he bought at the store. And he gets up, and he duct tapes them onto the tree. And, and, and most of us would think, okay, our neighbor's kind of lost it, right? <laughs> he's, 
he's just kind of lost his mind. But this is exactly how most of us live the Christian life. Mm-hmm. We think that if I could just stop doing the wrong things, if God tells me to give um, and, and to give money and to do so um, with a joyful heart, it's second best to just give and not have a joyful heart. And so we just give anyway. And all of these things are just, are just putting healthy-looking apples on a deeply sick tree. Mm. But if we move deeper, what we realize is it's our very desires that need transforming. And the only way to have desires transformed is to enter in the presence of God. And so all that we do, every discipline or practice, however we want to think about those, and that includes going to church. That includes writing that check even though you don't want to. That includes you know, reading the Bible on your own, praying, all of it. All of those things are modes of prayer. Every single thing we do is a mode of prayer because the Christian life is being with God, and prayer is being with God. That, that's, that's the nature of prayer. It mm-hmm. doesn't mean we're always talking. But we all know what it's like to be, to be quote-unquote, singing a worship song. And our lips are moving, but our minds on the afternoon, the big game, work the next day, trouble at home, you know, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And what we've done is we've entered a practice singing to God without being with God at all. And so part of this is going to be in one of the things that Edwards focuses, as does the Puritans in general and almost every spiritual writer, to be honest, is a very honest self-examination. And this should be done not only in isolation, just with yourself, but with others as well, where we really take an honest look. And this is the opposite of, of your friend who, who maybe spilled too much, quote-unquote, at, at a church gathering. Edwards would say there's no such thing. Mm-hmm. You can never spill too much. Right? We, if you don't know the desires of your heart, and you don't, I mean, this, this is something we need to come to grips with. We as human persons are so self-deceptive. Not only do we deceive others, and we, we do that very well, but we even deceive ourselves. We, we, we have mechanisms of deception that are so deep, that are so deeply ingrained, we don't even see them. And he says, we need to get down there. Because as Paul tells us in Romans 8, the spirit is actually down there, groaning, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. deeper than words. The spirit's at the depth of us going, wow, this is <laughs> this is horrible. And the spirit's reading for us down there. And the spirit's calling us into that space. And Kyle, I'm going to have to interrupt you again. Um, I just want to end on that. (laughs) And we'll be right back to Girlfriend It Radio. This is Girlfriended on Togginap. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on Girlfriended.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriended. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriended Radio right after these. My husband and I have always wanted to plant a new church. After 10 years, God finally affirmed that in us. We thought we were on our own. We never imagined that there was an organization that could partner with us. That's when we got connected with Stadia. They have incredible systems in place to support our family, including a network designed specifically for me, the spouse of a church planner. We could have never done it without Stadia. Stadia brings people and churches together to transform lives and communities through church planting. For more information, go to stadia.cc. Do you feel like when you watch a cooking show or read a food magazine that the recipes are not practical for a busy family? 
Do you wish you could have a conversation with someone about the best way to get dinner on the table fast after a long day at work? Are you tired of cooking dinner only to have your family turn up their nose at all of your hard work? Do you want to hear more about healthy living and finding more time to find your passion in life? We'll pull up a chair and visit with Heather Tallman, host of Around the Kitchen Sink. Thursday nights at 10 p.m. here on Tugginet Radio. Like many women, finding balance in life and time to take care of yourself is hard to do. Between managing a career and marriage and children and a busy family schedule, it's hard to maintain a sense of self. And Heather shares how she does it. Check out Heather's website, basilmama.com. Join us for food and a whole lot more on Around the Kitchen Sink with your host, Heather Tallman. Thursday nights at 10 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio. A chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. Well, welcome back. We are talking with our special guest, Kyle Strobel, who is um, a professor of theology. And Kyle, you were talking about where are you deceiving yourself and kind of doing that self-check and analyzing. And and, uh, I love what you said, how many times we don't even realize where we're deceiving ourselves. It's so buried down there. And um, I do think it's yeah. it's a great prayer to ask God. I know when I ask God reveal some of these things, these areas where I am deceiving myself, I say do it gently, so like I don't have to expose myself <laughs> to everybody else. But um, wh- wh- how how do you do that? I mean, because you're you're it, so many times we can point it out in somebody else. We can go, whoa, they are way yeah. off here, and God needs to reveal things in them. Um, but yeah. We do that. We we kind of um, pack that stuff in there, and we we don't um, we don't let God work on us that way. So, go ahead and and share with us a little bit more about what you were saying. Yeah, yeah. Well, one of the easiest ways I think to really attend to what's going on, because ultimately, what we're trying to figure out is what what is your heart love. Um, you know, Edwards talked a lot about beauty. It's one of the reasons I love love his thought is is for him, he was captivated by God because God was beautiful. And when you think about it in those terms, what sin is is ugliness. But the problem is to sin or to be sinful is to look at something that's ugly and think that is beautiful. Mm. That, that's, what, that's the problem. The problem isn't, that you, isn't primarily that you do those things, that you desire, that you lust that way, or that you, you're that angry, or whatever it is. The problem is that you actually think that is beautiful, that that's the good life, that's the good way. Mm-hmm. When we hear Jesus tell us in John 10, 10, that I came to give you the abundant life, our heart says he's lying. That's sin. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that we can do is just really attend very carefully to our emotional life. You know, one of the, one of the most profound things, I, my, I had a spiritual mentor in seminary, and I remember him, him telling me, he's like, you know, you have to understand that your emotions are like those, those lights on the dashboard of your car. And that check engine light goes on. He said, it's not telling you anything true about the world. It's telling you something true about what's going on under the hood. He said, likewise, emotions don't tell you anything true about the world. That's not what emotions are. That's not what they're for. Emotions only tell you things that are true about yourself. 
And so you, you sometimes hear people say things like, um, oh, she makes me so angry, or he just gets me so exasperated. Well, that's actually not true. They don't have that power. Mm. People don't have a power to make you angry. What's happening is when someone has done something, your heart has responded in anger. Your heart has responded in frustration, exasperation, whatever it is. Even joy, happiness, all, everything that's going on in our emotional life is our heart leaking something that's true of it. And so we need to pay attention. What, what gets us really excited, good or bad? What gets us really frustrated? I, I don't know about you. One of, one, of my, one of my kind of jobs around the house is dishes. I am never angrier than when I'm doing dishes. <laughs> There's something about doing dishes that just, you know, inevitably something doesn't sit the way I want it to in the, in the big um, pile of drying dishes. Or something. And, and I find myself furious. I'm like, why am I angry right now? And it, it, what it's doing is it's highlighting this very deep anger and this really deep belief actually about the world that I have, that it should always go my way. Mm. And when it doesn't, I get angry. Mm -hmm. um, Edwards has this great sermon on envy where he says, you know, one of the ways you can, you need to figure out, or one of the ways you can tell you're envious is notice what you do. And he just starts outlining what we do when we're envious. You know, if someone gets a raise, you know, we're envious, what do we do? We, we, we kind of, we kind of think, man, they, they really, you know, this is probably not even good for them, actually. They won't be able to handle the success. <laughs> so mm -hmm. suddenly in our minds, we're, we're slowly allowing them to raise ourselves. Or we start thinking, really, I should have gotten it because, you know, I'm ultimately better than they are. We, we, we start playing all these games internally. Mm -hmm. and, and what we need to do is we need to grasp onto those things and look through them and say, what are the deep beliefs I have? Do, do I deeply believe that I need to lower others to be seen as valuable myself? Um, do, do I believe that God doesn't love me, and so mm -hmm. I just need to be really good? Because then maybe he'll, he'll find me valuable. Maybe he'll find me um, reasonable to be with or something like that. And so we need to, we need to really pay, pay attention to those kinds of things. Because our, our emotions tell us a lot about what we believe about God, a lot about what we value, a lot about what we truly worship. When you, when you see what, what, what gets you, ex you know, what, when, when you wake up and you're exhausted and you think of something that gets you going, that you're like, wow, okay, I'm ready for the day. That is what you worship. What is that thing? Is it work? Is it family? Is it, is it something other than God? And so what the importance of self-examination is to really just have a very honest heart because knowledge of who God is is always tied to knowledge of yourself. The only way you can truly know God is to know yourself because to know God is to know what it means for you. Mm -hmm. And the only way to truly know yourself is to know God because you can only know who you really are if you know yourself in relation to God. And, and, and so we can never leave either of these behind, but we need to embrace them both as ways to be with God. These are both just, just ways of being with God, is to be with him honestly, to do the opposite of Adam and Eve. Right? Adam and Eve, when God's presence was among them, they were filled with guilt and shame, and so they do what we all do when we're filled with guilt and shame. They covered themselves and they hid. Right? What, what, what areas are you finding fig leaves or finding bushes or finding whatever it is, what, what, what are you using to cover and hide from God? Is it this fake life that you project that you're the one that has Christianity figured out? Is it a perfect family that has no problems? Is it, what, what is it, right? And those are the kind of things we need to get to the base of to figure out what, what are, who are we really? Because it's only that person that can be transformed by God. 
it is only in a deep honesty about ourselves that we can truly be with God and meet God as he really is. And of course we see this with Jesus, right? Whenever Jesus was around, people's true selves came out. The holier-than-thou Pharisees became murderers. <laughs> they schemed mm. about killing him, right? Peter dropped at his feet and said, Get, Depart from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. I mean, this is, this is what Jesus does. When, when we're in the presence of God, our true heart comes out. And so the solution, when you come in the presence of God and you pray, and instead of focusing on God, you find your mind focusing on other things, that, that, that's, that's what's happening. Your real self is being exposed. We shouldn't run from those things or apologize for those things. What we should do is be with God in the midst of those things. Because that's what God's doing. He's pulling those out and showing us, look, this is who you really are. Be with me in this, because this is what I need to transform. Mm. And again, and that's, that's a the very enemy. different vision of what the Christian life is. Yeah, and don't you think that's where the enemy has a heyday? Because when we, like you said, when you do go to that time of prayer and your mind's wandering all over the place, and um, then you have that, look at you. You are, you know, ADHD mm. on drugs. Like you can't stop and be still yep. you can't do all these things and you start beating yourself up it's one big cycle instead of just mm-hmm. like you said you just keep going back to to god and just being captivated by his beauty i love that um when you when you said that because so many times we are beating ourselves up so we don't want to go there and be in his presence rather than just let him go along with us um so uh, how how else like I, I love how the tip that I, I took away from just this last segment is when you wake up in the morning and what do you get excited about? That is you know what basically what you're worshiping. What's another tip to help you just in the daily part of life besides not getting mad at doing your dishes? <laughs> <laughs> well, I would just say, you know look. You know, maybe even put it on the calendar, maybe one day a week, maybe some a Sunday afternoon, a thing to do is to just look at the past week of your life and ask your life, what do I believe and what do I worship? And your life will tell you. Um, you know, I, I, teach, I teach a class on what, basically what does it mean to be a Christian to freshmen, college freshmen. And, you know, so it's like when I talk to my guys, I'm like, okay, guys, if you're playing 30 hours of video games a week, what does that tell you? about who you think Jesus is, because it does, <laughs> right? And, and mm-hmm. so allow your life, look, see what you did with your money, see what you did with your time, assess these things, and allow it to proclaim to you, this is what you really believe. You can say whatever you want, but this is where the rubber has met the road. This is what I believe. And again, don't, don't use that for guilt and shame, but use that to be with God and the truth of yourself, recognizing that it's only in abiding in him that that can be transformed. Hmm. So ask your life. I love that. Ask your life. Um, what is it that, that you proclaim? And that is what you believe in. And, and, and you're right, you know, spending three hours a day doing video games, um, you know, maybe one day, but to do it every day, you, (laughs) you start going, okay, this is what I really, really value. What would be another tip? And we have two minutes, Kyle, um, just to kind of express what something else that can really help people in just in their daily life on how they're going to draw closer to God. Well, and I, I would try to have them focus on 
what do you do with sin? So really assess. When, when you're confronted with sin, and you, you, what, is your, what is your turn? You know, when, when you're praying and your mind wanders and you fall asleep, and suddenly you wake up, you go, um, what do you do? Do you apologize to God and mm-hmm. then tell him you'll do better? Right? And that, which is turning to self-help. It's telling Jesus, without you, I could do lots of things. You were wrong about yeah. that, Jesus. Right? Um, so really, I would just, what, what goes on in your heart when you're confronted with your sin? Do you turn to be with God, or do you turn to your own self-power? If you turn to your self-power, that's idolatry, and it's also often, it'll, it'll always be fleshly, and it will always lead you into, into deeper sin. Or do you allow the, the reality of your sin to actually throw yourself more fully on the fact that Christ has proclaimed it is finished, it is done, and that you really embrace that. And so I, I really get people, how do, you, how do you assess these things? What does your heart do in response to sin? And that will tell you a lot about what's really going on in your heart. Hmm. Well, um, I, I loved uh, having this show with you today, Kyle, and I, and I love those tips, and especially just... The, the daily ones of asking yourself, you know, where are you spending your time? And then if you are sinning, if you are feeling like you're drawing further from God, then what are you doing with that? And I love this quote by um, Jonathan Edwards, Lord, stamp eternity on my eyeballs. And if, if we are really focusing on that and we really are saying that prayer, can you imagine what will happen? Thanks again, Kyle, for being on our show today. You can find out more about Kyle by going to GoFriendIt.com. And have a great week. Thank you for being a part of this special program, Girlfriend It, the show dedicated to the most important woman you know, yourself. 